This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Tuesday, 25th of July, 2023. Markets uh, waiting for all the key incoming earnings and central bank meetings this week. We did not have a very remarkable session. SP crawling back a little bit higher than NASDAQ 100, more mixed. Uh, I sorted the Saxo equity theme basket performance, as you can see on slide two on the month to date. And you see some of those remarkable uh, performances and uh, some of the commodities uh, sectors, the, the commodity sector picking up. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Mega cap, sort of a mid-table, if you will. And uh, yeah, I think we're just waiting for these incoming earnings to see what the, the new spin is going to be. And I'll preview a couple of those key ones later. FX market, we've seen a couple of interesting things with the dollar rebounding. But again, right at these sort of pivotal levels, makes sense. We're sort of pivotal and waiting for uh, how the market absorbs what the, the Fed message will be uh, tomorrow. I think on the euro side of things, getting a lot more interesting heading into the ECB because of the dovish shift we're all anticipating, and I think it could prove quite uh, underlined in what they bring on Thursday. And just a, a longer-term note, it's something I've been harping on, but a little bit specific to the action yesterday. We saw uh, while the euro was was quite uh, soft, we saw euro-yen uh, down uh, and sort of erasing that prior day's bar, the, the bar from Friday in which uh, some reports that the Bank of Japan is not planning on tweaking policy uh, engineered a new yen sell-off, and that was largely erased in some of the crosses, at least, so euro yen uh, yesterday. And I think the longer-term you know, eyes on, on the situation from the ECB are they have a very strong currency and a very weak economy, as emphasized in yesterday's 38.8 on the preliminary July German manufacturing PMI. And if you look at uh, how euro yen has, has risen this year from, uh, you know, I don't have the full the full picture here, back to the beginning of the year, uh, all the way to this 157 and plus level we've seen of, of late, um, that has happened despite in, despite the fact that the Bank of Japan controls the long end of the yield curve, the 10-year, let's say, at 50 basis points, so is on the uh, upper, is the upper band that they allow. The spread between the 10-year um, German Bund and that uh, 10-year JGB has, has not meaningfully changed over the entire course of this huge pump higher in euro yen. Of course, the policy rate has has changed from the ECB and does reward, uh, from a carry sense, those holding shorter-term European debt. But that longer end, very anchored, at least the spread. So even without a uh, Bank of Japan move here, if we are seeing the cycle turning, we are starting to see more recognition of recession risks, and we get to see yields coming in a bit lower. Uh, it's just adding the pressure, I think. And the ECB uh, is a big test around this potential for, I think, broader broader euro uh, softness. And euro dollar, I've emphasized, we need to get all the way down through the 110 uh, level and close below there this week to argue that we've seen a, a major uh, chart reversal coming in. Uh, but also your focus, Altea, you're in the studio today when looking at the, the yields and what's going on here and how the market is pricing these central banks, emphasizing this Friday's uh, PCE release uh, in addition to the, the Fed meeting on Wednesday. And it really is a critical one because we've seen a number of prints here on the, on the year-on-year core of this, this really critical PCE indicator, which is the Fed's favorite, really stuck in that sort of 4.6 area. It hasn't changed meaningfully in months. This will be the first one that's supposed to start showing a bit more uh, disinflation. 
Yes, John, and uh, the core PCE year-on-year is expecting to decrease to 4.2, but I think that uh, the game-changer is going to be the monthly core uh, PCE because it's expected to come down to 0.2%. So if we take 0.2% and we annualize it, we are going to get an annualized figure uh, very close uh, to the Federal Reserve inflation target. Uh, so what does that mean? It means that uh, the Federal Reserve might not me- need to hike uh, any longer um, and uh, it's getting closer to uh, to the 2% uh, uh, target. Uh, so my expectations in uh, uh, the bond market uh, this week uh, is uh, for a bull steepener of uh, the yield curve. It means that uh, short-term yields will drop faster than long-term yields, but I expected that to be a short-lived move. Uh, why? Well, because the Federal Reserve wants still to keep uh, its options open in case inflation is going to pick up again at a later stage, and that's also shown uh, Um, through the June dot plot where we see another rate hike uh, following uh, the one of uh, this week, the one of tomorrow. Um, And also next week, uh, we are going to have the Treasury refunding announcement, uh, which is likely to show an increase of issuance of T-bills and coupon issuance. And that obviously puts upward pressure on uh, yields. And then uh, we have always to keep in mind that uh, we are (laughs) having uh, Everything happening on the back of quantitative tightening, uh, which is also adding uh, pressure, upward pressure uh, on, uh, on yields. So the big question here, John, is uh, why do I forecast a bull steepener this week if there is uh, everything pointing to actually higher yields rather than lower? Well, the thing is that the market is convinced that uh, tomorrow will be the last rate hike And uh, normally, treasuries uh, start to rally when the market believes that the Federal Reserve is done with its hiking uh, cycle. And uh, also because of this uh, PCE data, because uh, the market is going to see that uh, the tightening tightening cycle of the Federal Reserve is working and inflation is decreasing. Yeah, I think it's a a fair comment. I think what the Fed will deliver may not be what's reflected in the price action. The Fed is going to try to be very defensive and keep its optionality, I would suspect, around that potential for another rate hike. But the market has been quite self-confident uh, many, many times, I think, in the past, where it said, it said you know what, uh, the Fed is saying this, but we really don't believe that's uh, – we, we believe this is our forecast and it will prove accurate. So I, I suspect that we won't meaningfully see the market, which is not anyway, pricing that second hike. It's only pricing, uh, I think, 25% odds or so. That we do get a yeah the market hike. Uh, is done with this week yeah, uh, yeah. rate hike yes uh, but I I want to take you also on slide number five where I put uh, uh, the um, a chart with uh, the two year uh, U.S. Uh, Treasury yields and the ten years uh, U.S. Treasury yields and uh, also our colleague Kim um, has uh, said several times. Uh, uh, rates uh, are on a are up trend. So realistically, when I talk about uh, boom steepening uh, uh, this week, uh, which kind of level do I have to watch out? Well, on the two years, uh, uh, two year U.S. Uh, treasuries, I'm going to watch out for that 4.58 percent. Uh, that support is critical because uh, if it 
uh, if uh, two year yields uh, break below this level, uh, then they can drop as much as uh, 4.25%. Uh, uh, so we need something major for that move uh, to happen. And instead, when we look at uh, 10 year US Treasury yields, uh, well, the, the, kind of, the close nearby support level is 3.83%. If they break below this level, they can find support next at 3.63%. Uh, but it's very unlikely that uh, they are going to break below their 50 days uh, moving average. Uh, and then uh, um, I'm going to also refer to a piece uh, um, a FOMC preview that I wrote uh, this, uh, this week. Um, and I think that it could be quite interesting for real investors because the big question is, uh, does it make sense to buy into U.S. Treasury now if we believe that uh, uh, yields continue to be in uptrend? So what I've done is that I've taken two years, five years, 10-year and 30-year U.S. Treasuries and uh, I take in uh, the yields estimates as the end of 2023 and 2024 provided by, uh, by Bloomberg. And uh, what I find out uh, is that uh, if I buy into two years or 10-year um, U.S. treasuries and I hold them until the end of 2024, the total return that I would get is around 10% regardless of uh, the maturity, obviously, if that kind of yield estimates is <laughs> going to be mm. uh, realized. But I think that the big take here is that uh, short-term U.S. treasuries uh, have been issued with uh, such a bigger uh, coupon uh, in uh, in the past uh, few months uh, that it creates uh, a huge buffer in uh, in terms of um, in terms of. Uh, uh, duration and trade-off compared to uh, long-term uh, U.S. Uh, treasuries. And so for the real investors, real money, it doesn't really make sense to take duration risk when uh, um, the reward profile of short-term treasuries is so appealing. And it looks like you have a few uh, credits as well on that table below, just giving a sense of the types of yield that are available at uh at these credit ratings. I guess that's the BBB uh, is right at the sort of edge of the investment grade cutoff. Yes, and exactly. So significant it, pickup and yield uh, relative to, to the treasury there. Absolutely. So um, if, uh, for example, on uh, two years you get uh, uh, 5%, uh, you can get uh, in investment grade uh, around uh, one, um, 100 basis points uh, um, more a pickup, which is uh, around 6%. And obviously, if you go into junk, and in that list, I've just taken uh, the top rated uh, junk, double B plus, um, you can get uh, um, even 7%. But I, I still believe that uh, um, at the moment, it's better to be conservative and not to go into into junk Especially as uh, as the economy might continue to weaken. Yeah, once especially when the when the some of the junk spreads are at the very compressed levels compared to where they've been uh, even in recent months. So uh, I guess the best time to go into to junk is well, you got to pick your spots. But maybe when when levels are distressed and you think the company is going to survive, uh, after all, big risks involved in doing so. Of course, um, let's look at what's moving markets elsewhere. And part of the thing, one of the things, is a uh, outcome of a Chinese Politburo meeting overnight. We have our uh, Hong Kong-based strategist Redmond Wong writing a piece on this, a very good piece. You can find it on analysis.saxo. Uh, looking at the outcome here, there's some, some modest signals uh, on stimulus, but the market taking this as a hopeful sign, especially the removal of some language uh, in the statement about 
uh, that homes are for living in and not for speculation. That that language was removed. There are hopes that this could lead to a more uh, sort of relaxed stance on the property sector um, and just the general signal. But it's still a pretty modest pickup, and I'm not sure how much the oil move was was linked to that. But that is the more interesting, technically, uh, the more interesting development we see uh, yesterday. You can see there on uh, slide seven on the right, Brent crude breaking to three month highs. I would argue technically the really big stuff here is those uh, all that sort of traffic and congestion uh, well above the $85 level. Uh, Brent, however, is, uh, as you can see there on the continuous uh, chart, where we roll the front future, that is uh, towing with the 200-day moving average. And then copper, that clearly I think that signal overnight, that's today's bar you're seeing there, uh, linked to this uh, China, uh, this, this meeting outcome and the, the policy signal there. Although at least we need to get above that 395, 396, that sort of double top we saw recently, and, and arguably above uh, $4 a pound to see copper and, and more of a constructive uh, potential new uptrend. All right, it is earnings season. We have so much on the menu for today. We've previewed a little bit of this. Uh, again, LVMH is, is up after the European close today. A really remarkably rich valuation, to my mind, looking at uh, if, if these projections of where their growth is headed. Uh, this year with with the anticipation they're at a sub 10% year-on-year growth. Um, but I mean, let's see what their results are. The focus there on uh, whether and how bad the deceleration in the results in North America are shaping up relative to potential further strength in uh, the or rebound in the Chinese uh, demand for luxury goods. And then Microsoft and Alphabet, the two very big focus, uh, very big companies in focus after the close today. With Microsoft, it's probably too early uh, to see any AI impact just yet. Maybe why some of those uh, gains that were posted when it announced its AI pricing uh, were backed out this week. Uh, and focus as well on cloud growth and to what degree it continues to decelerate. So um, there could be plenty uh, for, for upside if they guide somehow strongly on the AI side or, or otherwise. I would say technically a pretty rocky uh, situation here with this uh, weekly close we saw last week. So we'll definitely need some good news to, to get that uh, equity focus back higher. Google, somewhat similarly, but with a very different uh, product mix, of course. Their core search is such a dominant part of their business. And <clears throat> is there any spin on the degree to which some of these AI-driven rivals, there's this huge uh, you know, notion and fear for, from Google's perspective that, that AI can do just as good a job as their algorithms in sussing out where people want to go with search. Um, is there any uh, development or, or spin on that or guidance on that? Uh, YouTube saw its first year-on-year decline in revenues, uh, ad revenues, uh, last quarter. So what is the trajectory there? And cloud growth, again, a big focus. Last quarter was their first profitable quarter for their uh, cloud business. It is at some 10.7% of the very large company's revenue versus 8.6% uh, last year. So uh, that'll be in, in focus as well for, for Alphabet. And uh, just look at the other uh, names reporting. GM. In the car business in the U.S., uh, Visa, of course, uh, very interesting there for the consumer side. What are they seeing? Uh, and and so on. And the rest of the week, uh, as you can see, all those names reporting. Put up a five-year Google chart there. It doesn't look very uh, sort of impressive, technically speaking. Uh, the comeback has been less profound relative to the highs posted back in uh, late 2021. And, uh, yeah, it looks like one of the more troubled of the, of the giants out there, mega cap-wise. Let's see if they can... Uh, shore up their prospects or their share price, or if there's uh, some further risk of relative negative uh, uh, performance. And let's go briefly to the macro calendar overview. I previewed just about all this uh, recently. 
Consumer confidence, I think an interesting one out of the U.S., watching the present situation component there most of all. Uh, it has been a very strong. It's continuing to indicate a strong labor market. We saw some somewhat soft PMIs out of the U.S. yesterday. Manufacturing, though, rebounding to 49, still in contraction, but very you know, much less so than the prior 46.2. Uh, this is the preliminary July S&P Global uh, PMI numbers. And then on the services side, that one's softening a bit. But these have been the services PMIs have been at odds with the official ISM services. So it's, it's a bit of a confusing picture uh, for the U.S. from these, from these survey-based uh, data points. Australian CPI is up overnight as well for those trading Aussie. Uh, Aussie getting a little bit of a, a bounce from this uh, Chinese potential stimulus news. And just note, we've got the FOMC up tomorrow, ECB Thursday, BOJ Friday, of course. But do note, put on a bigger... Uh, longer-term event risk that I think is very interesting potentially this year, the August 24th to 26th Fed Jackson Hole Symposium talking about structural shifts in the global economy. I'm hoping to get Stan Jacobson in before I head off for holiday this Friday to discuss what the Fed's thinking may be here at this part of the cycle. So hopefully stay tuned for that and stay tuned for more market action. And we'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>